0: Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media, and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today, I'm sitting down with James Zuber, Group Chief Operating Officer at Exact AI. Welcome, James. Thank you, Darren. Nice to be here. And also joining us is Shane Mitchell, Chief Product and Transformation Officer at Exact AI. Welcome, Shane.
1: Thank you, Darren. Glad to be here as well.
0: Well, look, Exact AI, exactly what is exact AI. I think that's a good place to start. No, it you? is. No, it is. So uh,
2: it depends who you speak to, because obviously there's there's uh, different answers for different people in different roles. But to simplify it, we take uh, lots and lots of complex and admin tasks that uh, people in agencies, brands uh, and suppliers do, and we automate it with a SaaS system. So uh, we make sure that we can take away all of the time that's done through um, capture or admin roles and leaves more time for productivity. So as we call it, we take the robot
0: out the human. Right. Okay. Interesting. So this is not about creating an AI that's going to replace uh, media and creative agencies or or agencies generally. It's uh, more about making them more efficient and productive.
1: Well, I think there's been a lot been spoken about the role of AI within agencies Uh, a lot to do with the creative output uh, the variety and how the role of data in producing that content but that's not our focus our focus is about the types of work that people do in agencies and in marketing departments that don't really add any value so a simple way of describing it is is the things that add value the new ideas that brands can use to to grow or new ideas that media agencies can use uh, to be more effective. They involve a lot of thinking, creating, synthesizing, strategizing, communicating, uh, testing, those sorts of tasks add a lot of value. The tasks that don't add value are the things that involve matching, checking, reporting, looking, finding, copying, pasting, all of those. So our software works with people's existing platforms and software to get rid of those tasks and free people up to do more interesting things.
0: So that's interesting because you hear all the time in the advertising industry how hard and how long hours people work. I mean, it's not unheard of for people to claim they work 60 hours or more a week. So what you're saying is that there's actually a lot of opportunities in there to sort of speed up that process and give people more time. So I think th- I think there's 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 two
2: issues that arise within um Uh, the industry itself. So firstly, it's become more complex. So I think from a front-facing perspective, we've been really good at innovation. So lots of DSPs, lots of technology that helps us do lots and lots of really good stuff. The problem is that's made uh, admin uh, a lot more um, hard. So the hours that it takes to facilitate that has started to increase. Um, Secondly, that admin comes with a lot of wasted time. So people waiting for reports to run, People um, hanging around to try and get those reports or speaking to their, their, um, their managers. We're currently working with a business in the UK and every morning they spend two hours downloading reports. So that's 20% of their whole day uh, that is spent literally watching a world go round on media, legacy-based systems that they have to um, download into a CSV file and then try and upload and then send it to their clients. So if we can make that quicker and we can take it to an automated place where in the morning they get in and they get that information, they send it to their client, that client has that information, then they can spend more time being productive. Um, And productivity, obviously, can either be value or it can be uh, from a a financial point of view.
0: James, that's crazy because, you know, all of the promise of a digital world was that it was going to make things more accountable and uh, more trackable and, you know, that Everything was going to be so much easier to work with. And what you're actually saying is the complexity and the huge amounts of data that we hear about is actually making everyone less efficient.
1: When you look at a a typical media agency, um, you might be unsurprised to learn that the plethora of systems that people are using. And just think about in our day to day lives. So think about your day. Darren, in the in software that you use. Everything, you know, might be using Slack to communicate and email to send messages, and you might be using Dropbox to store files. So what's happened now is, what used to be all in one place, often within an office network, is now spread across a whole variety of really useful productivity tools. And it's no different in agencies. We speak to some agencies who are using upwards of 30 different systems in one working day. And so there's a huge cost, isn't there? You have to switch from one thing to the next thing you have to switch your, your your train of thought, you have interruptions on top of that, and all of this accumulates. And so what we've done is we've accumulated all of these different systems and platforms, and, and the, we're now buckling under the weight of those systems.
0: So that's the complexity that you're uh, referring to, in that it's not just the huge amounts of data, it's also the huge number of Communication channels, the huge number of technology platforms. I mean, we uh, did some work with a client who their preferred way of communicating with their agency was actually WhatsApp, and uh, it was because that they could actually reach their agency at one o'clock in the morning using a WhatsApp. It always worried me that how easy it would be to uh, miss a vital piece of communication when you're using such a uh, random. Uh, communication platform. Can this integrate all of those?
1: Well, it's interesting that you raise this blurring between work time and personal time. I think that's a conversation in of itself, particularly as now more and more of us will be working from home. And uh, we're having to adapt to this idea that in the future, the time we spend in the office and the time we spend at home, those ratios are going to be somewhat of flux as we as we come out of the pandemic. Uh, I think what's important to understand though is not many organizations really understand how time is spent within their organizations. So on the one hand we're having conversations about how work time works or in your scenario uh, customers reaching us out of hours or at times that are considered unsociable But at the same time, do we really understand, if I was to talk to a media planner, what that person's day or week or life looks like and what tasks they're actually doing and, indeed, what things are adding value? Uh, Uh,
0: Sorry, I want to stop you there, Shane, because you would think that in an industry where primarily fees are paid based on the work people do, i.e. the number of hours they do, that there would have been an infinite amount of work done in actually capturing the time that it takes to do these tasks. Are you telling me that that's unusual? Well,
1: in terms of the customers we've spoken to, yeah, highly unusual. I think there's a tendency within our agency that we use common tools, we have common tasks. We're doing a lot of things that are the same. People move from one organization to another, and and actually that's a good thing because we're familiar. There's mobility within our, our industry because we tend to do things the same way. The danger, of course, is people then become accepting of that. We've seen this creeping rise in the number of tasks and, and platforms that people need to use. And I think that's in some ways, we've, it, we've, it's a bit like boiling the frog, the analogy of boiling the frog, where it, the temperature has risen like us and we haven't really noticed it, it happening. To so the point now where, as you've described here, people are putting in extra hours so they can fit everything in. Um, and... As leaders, we're kind of accepting it. We're, so long as the job is getting done, we've become very task-orientated rather than actually the outcome of so trying just to Just to, to add on
2: to that, um, I think if you go back you go back 10 years ago, we had five or six or seven pieces of media, which if you're a TV buyer, you knew you were a TV buyer and you can chop up your day into five different pots um, and then you can manage your time accordingly. I think what's happened is the uh, as we start to evolve and we have more media channels and technology channels to manage the understanding of those complexities hasn't caught up. Um, I mean, if we look at other industries, um, you know, particularly the banking sector back in 2008, um, they had to do it. You know, obviously, there's a downturn in the market. Um, a lot of banks went under. There was a big push to automate, but not just automate, um, the research that goes before that, which is understanding um, productivity. So who's good at what, why they're good at that job, and can we facilitate... Uh, a role that's built around them rather than trying to push a square peg into a round hole. Um, and I think that's not where the industry is yet. I think we're probably five, five years behind. Um, and I think we're just about starting that, that process. We also, I mean, there's also the issue around, um, we're still working to an old model, which uh, is full-time employees. So when contracts are done between procurement and agencies, um, that is still the, the, the central uh, point of discussion.
0: And I think that's uh, probably the real point here, isn't it? In that most agencies have very similar structures that they had 20 years ago. What they've done is just built more silos in there based on the various channels. You know, you'll have the digital buyers versus the TV buyers or the the non-digital buyers. And the other thing that's happened is that all of these platforms all have their own ways of recording performance, don't they? Data's coming off all of these in very different ways. You know, television has their own. Uh, Magazines, well, are there any magazines left? And newspapers have their own data. Uh, Radio have their own data. And then you've got the whole range of uh, digital from the walled gardens to open programmatic. It must be just uh, like a fire hydrant turned on full for the agencies.
1: Well, what you mentioned is true, and, of course, it's just the tip of the iceberg. So imagine you are an agency... Uh, and you're working in television now, you say you're in in the UK, Um, you have all the same tools as some of your competitors do. So you're getting the same overnight TV rating data, you're processing it in similar ways. Um, But what's sprung up is a plethora of other organisations who have got different data sources. They've got shopper data, they've got other survey data. And agencies then say, okay, I'm now going to use that data, apply it to the data I'm getting from the mainstream platforms and to come up with a unique insight. So the challenge is, is you're right, is is it's not just that we have all of these different channels and different data sources, but underneath that you may have four or five other organisations who are adding additional insights and data into it. So your poor TV planner has got to somehow gather all of that information into one place, turn it into something that's meaningful, extract an insight from that, change his strategy or her strategy, get their customer buy-in, and then execute it. And none of this is, and most of that task, sorry, is around the very manual task of literally finding the information, gathering the information. In fact, our research has shown is somewhere in the region of 20% of anybody's time is just in getting information, putting information in one place, sending information, none of which is adding any real value. The bit that's really interesting, which is, hey, I've got a great idea about how we can do a different form of targeting in the middle of this campaign to boost performance, Uh, that's a very, very small part of the job now.
0: Because one of the things we've been doing for a long time is actually measuring productivity. You know, the, the problem with the traditional retainer model was it was about retaining resources without actually linking that to what those resources did. It seems to me that what you're talking about here is a way of... Uh, connecting the various complex parts to actually make those resources more productive because we've actually seen an increase in productivity. Agencies are doing a lot more bits with the same number of resources and for less money. So this would have to be a panacea in some ways of solving the problem the agencies have of seeing reduced margins against those resources or not. Yeah, like I, I think that there's. I'm sure Shane will have his view on it. But so I,
2: I think if we go to look at things like centralisation of um, of office, so a lot of the operational stuff, the non-commercial um, side of the business has now obviously been centralised. I think with look at WPP um, and a lot of the other holding groups is now pulling all of that into one place. Um, the big issue with centralisation um, is it's a short-term gain. Um, because the majority of centralization strategies looks at financial, not productivity, um, value. So without that productivity value, you're looking at effectively what's going to happen in the, in the next year rather than what's going to happen in the next five years. So without that information, it's really difficult to work out whether you should be cutting full-time employees or actually moving people around to different parts of the business to do different jobs because you know they're actually going to do a much better job over there in a shorter space of time. Um, the other issue is more sort of an emotional um, point around centralization. Uh, what it does do um, is it takes away empowerment for, for people's jobs, you know, decision-making, um, uh, pessimism about the growth or their actual job and whether that job's going to be there. So both have their positives and negatives. Um, but I think the change in that process has been very much driven by a financial structure rather than a, a full-rounded financial and value productivity structure.
0: Mm.
1: And, and herein lies the trap that people need to be, the agencies need to be very careful not to fall into. Um, if all one does is focus on, hey, we can actually reduce the amount of time it takes to do the same things that we've done before, or put everybody in one place to do that in a centralization strategy, um, we have to be very careful that that doesn't actually have an impact on the prices you can charge customers. So on the one hand, agencies are saying, well, hey, we want to reinvent ourselves as organisations that provide more value for our customers, that have unique data insights, who can produce content at scale, who can, uh, you know, create innovations for our our customers. But on the other hand, the temptation is to say, okay, we're going to take all these savings and we're going to put them to the bottom line or we're going to reduce the amount of headcounts we do.
0: Yeah, and look, I think the answer to that is in the fact that the single biggest dissatisfaction that we hear from advertisers is that they're not getting the level of thinking and insights. Now, listening to what you're saying, it sounds like that's because all of these resources, the resources that the agency can afford to put on that business based on the fee that was agreed, are busy doing a large percentage of their time non-value added. You know, Shane, before you said it's coming up with new ideas, new strategies, new opportunities is where value is created. Moving bits of data from one system to another is something that, you know, is dead time.
1: That's right. And I'm sure clients don't want to pay a lot of money for that.
0: But here's the problem that I've had is that when we have these conversations with agencies, they go, how can we recoup the cost of being more efficient? And I'll give you a very simple example, and that was creating uh, digital display ads. The agency was still producing it in a manual way because the client paid them for the number of hours it took to do the job. Rather than automating it, they said they wouldn't be able to account or recoup the cost of the automation because it would no longer have hours against it. It's pretty short-sighted, isn't it? It is. I think
2: that the the one thing that um, stands out from that is, uh, I think people forget that it's not really about saving costs. So if you wanted to automate making banners, you could still charge the same amount of money, um, but you would you would show up fifty percent of productivity. So surely, the showing up that fifty percent productivity can then go back into helping that client come up with some really cool ideas. You know, creative innovation. Technological, data-driven ideas that actually are going to have an add value to that particular campaign or client, and I think that's being pushed aside. Um, particularly now, we're going to it's going to get it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, so there is a short-term um, uh, recoup of finances um, first and foremost, rather than looking at the, the future, which is what the industry is
0: built around, which is create creativity. Mm. But they're already behind the game, aren't they? Because most agencies are running incredibly thin. You know, the resources are very thin on the ground. And the fees of, you know, we've tracked fees for media agencies to, since 2007. The effective uh, fee per unit of productivity has dropped, you know, about 70%. So agencies are really in a position of having to play catch-up, aren't they?
1: Um, they do. And I I suspect that a lot of the inertia that we talked about earlier, James mentioned that in many ways, our industry, when it comes to our operations within our day to day work, are some way behind other industries. And we mentioned banking, for example, um, in uh, Bank of New York, Carnegie Mellon, back in 2010, created a center of excellence with a strategic mandate just to focus on how they could automate what were seemingly you know, uh, impossible processes to be tackled. And they found various tools to enable them to be doing that. And they found an, a tool that didn't involve them having to rip out all of their IT, uh, which for many organisations is the barrier for them, is the existing legacy IT that runs slowly and doesn't do what it needs to do but the cost of replacing it both to the business and for the risk involved is simply mm. not worth it. So they found a solution to do it. So that was all the way back in 2010. Um, uh, you've got organizations like Vodafone in the UK, a telecommunications company, where almost every part of the business has some level of automation and has indeed become agile. Can you imagine an agile HR department, for example? Um, in many ways, it's a product of how we're set up as, as, as an industry. So we may have big Brands within the, the the landscape, but we actually have lots of small companies, and so it's very difficult for those smaller companies or business units to affect the change. So while sorry, things sorry,
0: can- just elaborate yeah. on that, Shane. What do you mean? Because uh, we do have big brands. We've got big holding companies, and they've been able to invest significantly in in technology platforms such as programmatic and and. Uh, 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 digital uh, asset management or digital um, uh, DMPs, you know, so they they can invest in huge technology projects.
1: So Steve, stopping this? So there's there's a couple of ways that you can digitally transform an organisation. The classic one is is that you invest in innovation, you create a separate area of innovation, or you buy an innovative company, and there's this kind of idea that somehow that innovation and that change of way of working somehow comes back to the main core business and it transforms it. But that actually hasn't been the case. You know, Digital no. profits have been fantastic for, uh, for agency groups and in many ways has put a little bit of a fig leaf over what has been some of the challenges in their legacy business, which hasn't really changed since the late 90s or early 2000s, both in terms of approach and technology. Um, Large organisations, and I don't mean large organisations, like banks and telcos, may have 150,000 employees and they have one centralised decision making point who's empowered to affect change. It's a bit trickier when you have a, an agency holding group structure, both in terms of how the financials work, but also in terms of how decision making okay. works. you also got legacy technology that isn't the same, so everybody's doing something differently. So it's almost like herding cats in order to be able to make large-scale changes across an organisation. So, as you said, the simpler thing to do is to go, right, well, that's we need to invest in innovation, we'll do it separately. We can't do that anymore. We've got to now find a way of innovating and automating our core and legacy businesses to create some room for innovation.
0: James, do you think one of the problems is that agencies have not change the way they work with their clients? Because a lot of agencies will say to us that they're inefficient, in quotes, because the client's inefficient. And so in some ways, they have to make up for that inefficiency. Uh, I I think that if we look at the
2: the ecosystem, supplier, agency, um, and brands, uh, I think one issue then gets passed on to the other. So when one part uh, of the process is inefficient, obviously that has a knock on effect all the way through to, uh, through to the end. To your point, yes, I think there is an inefficiency. Um, again, that's based on uh, both technology growth, not just within agencies, not just in with suppliers, but obviously from a marketing and brand perspective, um, there's some figures, I think Shane will probably give us some more figures, but there's figures on from a procurement perspective that there's more inefficiencies from a brand marketing perspective Purely based on the growth of technology in a much shorter space of time than agencies took to come up with DSPs and DMPs, uh, which has had a knock-on effect to, to cost base. So, that ineffic- inefficiency in itself um, has had uh, implications all the way through that ecosystem. Uh, but obviously, I think the, the core to this is making sure that we can take away um, a lot of those um, high-touch roles, high-touch tasks. Um, uh, complex-based tasks that people are spending a lot of time on to spend more time doing the really good stuff that they enjoy. Um, And if you want to keep staff retention, you need to find a solution to that. Otherwise, it's just going to be an admin role that will be taken over by um, either um, technology or a lot of it will be moved in-house.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because, uh, you know, we've seen the demands from marketers have increased of agencies, you know. Um, And then when the agency hasn't been able to deliver, the marketers then say, oh, we'll take it in-house, to pick up on your point, James. But in actual fact, almost every organisation that's tried to take it in-house realises how much more complex and difficult it is. It always is easier when uh, a supplier is doing it, isn't it? I think that
1: agencies don't necessarily want their clients to know about what their operational challenges and difficulties and legacy tech they have going on in the background. Um, In fact, when we talk to advertisers, talk to brands, um, they haven't heard of a lot of the ERP and other systems that agencies use to produce the information that comes to them. What they see most mornings is, or afternoons in many cases, is an Excel spreadsheet, or mm. a PowerPoint presentation, or something else that's been synthesized. The great irony, of course, is they then take that data in that Excel spreadsheet and try to find a way to put it into their systems, which are completely different ones to the ones the agencies use. Um, so I think you know it's it's interesting that what brands think they need and what they actually want, which is performance, Um, are two very different things. And so some of the agencies we're talking about are having very strenuous conversations with their clients and saying, look, you've got an amount of money you want to pay us to achieve a service. Pay us that amount of money and let us worry about how we're going to achieve that. And that creates that opportunity to change technology, change process, move people around, as James has described, to affect that outcome. So I think there's a I think uh, agency, uh, agencies need a little help from brands. It needs to be a, 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 a dual approach to actually unlock that potential.
0: Well, there is mutual benefit, isn't there? If they can actually work together to find ways of producing more productive outcomes, now I'll say that again, more productive outcomes, then that benefits both the advertiser and the agency, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely. I think that... You know, so we're working with a client in the UK and one of the tasks that they have to do is they have to prepare uh, a a report in the morning for one of their e-commerce clients who are going to use that over the course of the day. And the complexity means it gets done about lunchtime. Now, the client doesn't necessarily need all that information. It varies. They just want it all in one place. So suddenly you've got this huge administrative task. And by working with both the agency and the client, we can actually look at ways you can say, well, how can we get that data out of the agency system, right, which is divorce of yours, into a form which makes sense for you as a client, across to you as the client, mm. and then into your system in a way that you can work. And that's, that's it's those types of conversations that, that need to be happening to remove these administrative hurdles which are standing in the way of doing the more interesting work.
0: Because you mentioned before Excel spreadsheets. I mean, you know, there is a complaint from clients that what used to be post-campaign reports or even real-time campaign reports would just turn up as thousands of pages of Excel numbers that were largely impenetrable for a lot of clients. You know, and they talk about wanting the insights. What should I be doing rather than what's the data that that's based on? And yet, uh, do you remember we went through a period where every media agency was offering their client a dashboard? And almost always it failed because it would end up taking forever to create the dashboard in the format that the client wanted. And then ultimately, they would never look at it anyway because all the dashboard did was give them numbers in a different way. It didn't give them insights. I think that, I think one of the,
2: one of the points you've raised before, which is about this, this connected ecosystem. Um, so if we, we're, there's, a, there's a system, in actually it's been launched in Austra- Australia, I think it's a good thing called PEPOL, which is effectively e-invoicing. So it's been launched in Italy, UK. The UK, it was around the, um, uh, P- I think P&G do it, and obviously uh, the NHS. So anyone who wants to work with the NHS from either a supply perspective or marketing, has to align with Peppol. And what it is, is a routing system. So um, we, we send you out an IO, a PO, it goes all the way around, it goes back to their finance system, um, and it's all automated. One of the problems that we're currently facing, to your point, is that the, we're not connecting the dots. So even if you've got a, um, a nice system uh, that comes across, and you've got lots of numbers and um, you know, flashing lights, um, it still won't tell you the whole truth. And the reason for that is the dots are not connected all the way through to the, the, the data you want, the real data that needs to be pulled from all those systems every morning um, when it's done on a manual basis then it has to be fed into another system that has to be sent to your client. Um, so until that whole process, uh, that admin process is taken away from the people who can actually add value to that particular business through you know, what we class as insights, we're still going to have a very clunky, slow
0: process with probably the wrong data. Mm. And yet, in actual fact, what we want is to package the data and put it in front of the people that can pull out the insights more efficiently.
1: Or better still, uh, given the the weights that marketers now have in terms oh. of the work that they have to do with other data within their organisations mm. and the platforms that mm. they're coping with. In fact, I think a, a recent Gartner report was saying that something like a quarter of marketing budgets are spent just on the technology and the costs of the people that are required to run all that at growing. So marketing departments have exactly the same problem as agencies. Uh, they just want to be told what to do uh, because just presenting the information or an insight is not the same as a recommendation and, it's, and what uh, marketers are telling us is they want their agencies to synthesize that information, make a realistic and reliable recommendation for action, whether it's a short-term campaign or something that's more long-term and strategic.
0: But Shane, that's what I was saying before. Clients, their single biggest issue is the agencies are not giving them what they want. They're giving them data, but they're not giving them recommendations. They're giving them reports, but they're not giving them insights. You know, is this, is uh, Exact AI an opportunity for agencies to free up some of that intellectual power that exists within the agency to fulfill more on the client's needs.
1: Absolutely. I mean, uh, we were talking about television buying earlier. and Not everyone who's listening will be doing TV buying, but um, I use it as a good example because it's been around a very long time. It might surprise the people to know that a TV buyer might spend half their day doing basic administration and using software tools. So let's imagine for a moment that that work was automated and they didn't have to do it at all. Then all of a sudden that time could be used Productively for that client now we talked earlier about the clients are paying per head and you use the example I think you were talking about uh, an agency being paid to to transform banners um, That client didn't want banners. They wanted effective advertising So in the case of TV what you would hope is the client wouldn't turn around and say well You're only spending half as long on my work I'll only pay you half as much what you really want is the client to say I'm happy with what I'm paying And I'm excited to know that that person now is spending their time differently
0: in servicing my
1: account or going off and finding new and innovative ways that they can service my brand.
0: And this is where, you know, one of the things that we've been pushing is rather than paying for the inputs of the number of hours, that the whole industry should be moving to outputs. What does the agency actually produce for the client? And ultimately, what are the outcomes of that work? So if we can eliminate all of the, how did you put it before, James, all of the admin, the non-value admin, if we can minimise that, then all of those people would be in the agency on a retainer or under the fees would be working towards delivering ultimately the client's desired outcomes through outputs, right? Yeah, I I think the, again, it goes back
2: to I think the original point, which is we still work on a very... Old legacy-based model, um, and that needs to change all across the board. We need to look at output, which is: um, am I working to a delivery of products, uh, sales for a particular client? Is it creative execution? Am I working with a creative agency on a uh, on a new campaign that's going to allow us to deliver um, on a number of different um, uh, KPIs? That's increasing uh, ever more. Platforms are increasing ever more. Technology is increasing. The bit in the middle that needs to be looked at is the different skill sets with the organization. Example, we were doing some work with a company in Asia and they were we were looking at, um, at their productivity and how, how many free, uh, full-time employees they can save by automating. We looked at a lot of the um, uh, the triggers that they have with regards to admin, how much time is wasted, um, all the way through to how much time they were spending with their clients and communication. Um, and I think we worked out something in the region of about 10 to 15 full-time employees they could save by automating a process. So there are two options. One, they could take those full-time employees and then take them off the books, or they could use them to be more productive. Um, so the outcome is uh, be making them more productive over a two-year period. They can make four times more money than actually... Um,
0: take away those full time employees from the from the uh, the, the business. Well, it's, sorry James, there's a different way to look at that as well because we're talking about FTEs and this is the thing that drives me crazy because procurement will talk about an FTE as if the managing director and the most junior person are all just one FTE each, right? And yet we've seen in the industry that what I call the juniorizing of agency staff, you will see structures that are incredibly flat. Because agencies, and especially media agencies, have ended up recruiting a huge number of junior uh, graduates into the agency to do these menial tasks, to literally transcribe data from one source to another, which is a huge number of people, counted as an FTE count. And yet very few senior people, if anything, if it allows you to, within the same fee, have less people but more senior then you're going to get a higher quality because you're going to be dealing with experience rather than people that have entered the industry to transcribe numbers from one Excel spreadsheet to the next. I think there's a perceived um, issue with uh,
2: moving or having to integrate large systems uh, into businesses. Um, Shane used to work for a large media company in in Asia, and I think he said it it took them three years to integrate uh, a SaaS system and he had you know, 20, 25 people working on that business and it still wasn't integrated after three years. So the cost or the perceived cost in changing that process um, is has not been outlined to the business or they're not willing to understand how to then suddenly change, particularly when they're not going to see or they perceive they're not going to see an outcome <clears throat> uh, for, uh, for, for two years. What we know now is they can see outcomes within
0: two to three months. Because mm. you're not talking exact AI is not about putting in a whole new system, is it? It's actually about linking existing no. systems to work together more yeah. effectively.
1: So to think of it this way is is we're we are the the last strategic lever that companies pull. So you know when people are trying to create efficiencies, they'll often standardize processes across lots of departments. They will often centralize them into one place, um, and they'll offshore. The, the lower value work. In fact, I think I've just described three quarters of WPP's current strategy as, as they've described it in terms of operational efficiency. But that's nothing new. This idea has been around for a very long time. What organization, other organisations have realised, once you've done all those things, what other strategic levers are are left to you? And this idea that we have all of this legacy software here that's so essential to running to our business and is irreplaceable, this idea that you can get software instead of people spending time on it um, is, is very, very important. Uh, the idea that you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, and let's be very clear, some of the most important software that's used in agencies is almost irreplaceable. It's, it's, they have thousands of data connections, hundreds of agreements with suppliers for the sharing, You know, dozens of really important connections that come into it to replace that for a competitor to come in and and replace that next to impossible. In fact, they've made it impossible because the biggest companies have bought all their competitors. So it's very, very difficult. So this idea is rather than having spending all of your time working that software, that you can have these ideas. We call them digital workers who are working the software for you. And the great thing is, is they don't care if data comes in at 2 a.m., they don't take any holidays, they don't get sick. They don't have calls from childcare. They don't get interrupted by phone calls, you know, from other departments. And they just get on with doing their work. So that, that's the last strategic lever that most major organisations are really focused on. And in fact, this idea, this automation, we call it in various forms, robotic process automation, service automation, intelligent automation, all sorts of labels for it. But it all means basically the same thing. It's the fastest growing category of software for major organisations around the
0: world. Interesting that time has gone so quickly. Um, I want to ask first of all, thank you, James, for uh, coming by and uh, having this conversation, and to you, Shane. I'm um, just—we uh, need to wrap up because we've run out of time. Maybe we should get an AI to make this conversation more efficient. But I just want to ask, what is it that you found is the single biggest obstacle stopping people? companies embracing better ways of working.